titled Carols, where we're looking at some of the famous Christmas carols that we sing all year long. Because, I mean, the truth of it is, most of us, they're just inspirational background music, right? I mean, when you want to get a real Christmassy vibe, you put on a YouTube video that has some instrumental Christmas hymns in the back, right? And then that's what kind of plays in the background of your house and of your family this time of year. Or maybe you sing it in the car, and maybe these are some things you're, you've been singing since you were a kid. But when was the last time you truly sat back and evaluated the words or even really heard the words that you're singing? Because it's so easy to get caught up in the cultural Christmas of the world, and it's so easy to get caught up in just the song that we miss the theological truths behind them. So in this series, we're trying to dig a little deeper into these songs that so many of us know so well and that we sing every single year at this time. I mean, I guarantee that if I put out an email, you guys would already start getting back to me saying, Pastor, here's my top three favorite Christmas carols. And they would probably be very similar across the board because we sing them every single year. But have we actually interacted with them? Because for so many of us, they're just background music. In fact, the one we're doing today is one of my favorites, and it's probably one of your favorites too. It's Joy to the World. Now, Joy to the World was written originally in 1719 by the minister and hymnist Isaac Watts. See, there used to be a time in order to preach, you had to be able to sing. Thank goodness that's not the way it is today. (laughs) Amen. Yep, there's some people who've heard me sing. They're like, man, somebody, uh," right? But the most common version that we sing today that we're so familiar with is actually the 1848 version that was done by an American composer, Lowell Mason. So here's the thing. This song has been around for hundreds of years. In fact, this song, just like last week's song, has actually built the faith for hundreds of years of believers and of Christians. And it originally wasn't even meant to be a Christmas song. It was originally written after Psalm 98, which is called an enthronement psalm. And the enthronement psalm is all about praising God and acknowledging his great, great glory. Well, what happened was, is when they started to evaluate this song, they recognized that all the truths that were in, the night, in Psalm 98 are actually present in the Christmas story also. And then it kind of became one of those things you just started to sing around Christmas time, joy to the world. This psalm that that inspires joy to the world, it's written specifically to the nation of Israel, and it was written by David, and it speaks about the glory and supremacy of God as king over all creation. So, the worship team is going to sing joy to the world. And I want you to remain seated like we did last week, and I want you to sing the song as it comes up on the screen. But this time, I want you to really evaluate the words. Let them sit for a second. Hear the words you're singing. Not as joy to the world that makes you feel good because it's Christmas time and we're all in our Christmas sweaters and we're all excited, right? We're going to have cake and delicious things afterwards. I want you to, to hear the words that are in this song because it's all about the enthronement and supremacy of God and of Christ. Heather? Joy 
so great about that song, and one thing we don't often think about <clears throat> is the title, Joy to the World. That means that it's available for everybody, right? It's available for everyone. Everybody should have access to this joy. But here's the thing. Sometimes the Christmas season, if we're just honest with ourselves, and we should be because we're in church, that sometimes the season may not be that joyful, Maybe for some of us, it's not joyful because this is the first season without mom or dad or without brother or sister. 
Maybe this is the first season that you've lost someone that you really, really cared about. Maybe this season is just a reminder that you still have a prodigal son or daughter that hasn't returned. Maybe it's just a reminder that that empty seat next to you is actually reserved for those to come and sit with you, but you don't have them yet. Maybe it's financial for you. Maybe it's just a constant reminder how hard it is to get by and how much trouble you have providing Christmas every year and you dread it because you don't have the means to provide the Christmas for your family that you want. Maybe it's just the busyness. Maybe it's just the constant going over and over and over again to where you're just flat exhausted by the time you get to Christmas. And all that energy for one day, right? Every parent feels that way. All that energy and time for one day. Now, the title of the song was Joy to the World. But the title of this message is Joy to You. So, with that, I'd like to pray as we get started. Father, I pray for all of us sitting in this space, Lord, that we would pursue joy in our life. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds today to teach us through your holy scriptures on what joy is and how we can attain it, and where we should and should not look for it, and the things that you're going to guide us in this place. Lord, we love you. We give you all of the praise. Everyone said, amen. Joy is an interesting topic because most often people feel as though joy is dependent upon circumstance, but that's not true because that's, that's happiness. If joy is dependent upon circumstance, then it should ebb and flow with your life. Some days you're joyful, some days you're not, right? I mean, that's essentially what it should be, the same thing. And let's be honest, the Christmas story doesn't promise happiness. The Christmas story promises joy, not happiness. But so often we get those two confused. The inspiration, again, for this song is Psalm 98. Now, when David's writing this song, it's, it's important to recognize he doesn't know it's going to be messianic. He doesn't understand that. David is simply writing, but this is one of those amazing times when you're reading through the Bible where you can see God's handiwork of the Holy Spirit moving the pen of the authors in the Old Testament and lining it up with the pen of the authors in the New Testament. So they're both valuable and equal, and they both influence one another. It's really one of those really amazing things. But David doesn't know as he's penning this psalm that he's penning a psalm that would eventually describe Jesus. Psalm 98 says this, A psalm, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, the Hebrew interpretation of this, if you're looking at it just from a Hebrew viewpoint when it was written, and then again when they were singing it later, uh, the idea is this, it's recognizing that God has shown himself to be faithful consistently to the nation of Israel. And it's in the promise that God originally made to Abraham that he will bless the entire world through Abraham. That's the promise they're consistently hearing. But what's so interesting is Israel constantly fails. But they don't stop to acknowledge, they stop to acknowledge every time of God's faithfulness to them. Sure, they fall away, but don't we all? And they acknowledge his faithfulness 
to him. However, a Christological standpoint, a Christian viewpoint of it, reminds us that Jesus provides salvation for everyone. So sometimes, some different verses of the Bible are only for the Old Testament, some are only for the New Testament, and sometimes God uses both. And in this situation, you, he, you have a, a Hebrew interpretation, and then you have a Christological or a Christian interpretation of it. And the Christian interpretation is a reminder that salvation has come to the whole earth through Israel, through Christ. So let me say that again in case we forget it or in case we get a little twisted. Jesus came for everybody. He came for the Democrat and the Republican. I know that's hard for some of us to believe. <laughs> Whatever political side you sit on, you sit back and you go, no, he only came for the libertarians, right? Like, so maybe you're one of those people. But he came for both the Republican and the Democrat. He came for black, he came for white. He came for Latino, he came for European. He came for the African, he came for the Chinese and the Asian and the Japanese and the Korean. Jesus came for everyone so that everyone could experience life. Those people you don't like, he came for those people too. The people you can't stand, the ones that you avoid every chance you get. Jesus died for them too. He came for your boss. He came so that your boss may have life. Your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, Jesus came for them too. It was everyone who could partake in the salvation that Jesus gave. And now we hear this and we go, all right, cool, David, I'm down. I'm there, right? Like I'm there. Teach me how to have that kind of joy though, okay? I understand God's for everybody. We're there. We've got that, right? We're mature Christians. But what, what, come on, how do I have joy? Come on, David. David says, all right, here, pay attention. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song and music. Make music to the Lord with the harp and with the harp and the sounds of singing and with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. We'll all stand around. Right, no, I'm there. We're going to sing about joy. How do we get it, though? David, how do we get that joy that you're talking about that we, we're singing? How do we get that joy? And David says, all right, well, here, pay attention. Let the sea resound and everything in it, everything in the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to, before he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's equity. <laughs> Hold on, maybe you didn't hear us, David. Um, but you told us to sing for joy in the Lord. That was your first verse. But then you never really tell us how to get that joy. You kind of just tell us to sing joyfully, which I'm all, I'm all for, David, but I don't know how to get the joy that you're talking about. And David, what happens when we don't feel like we have it? Should we just sing anyway? Is that the instruction here? I mean, come on. You can hear the similarities between this, song, between this psalm and the song we just sung. But the key theme, the idea of joy to the world, David, sure. But how do we get that kind of joy? We can sing about it, and we can stand in here and sing about it, and it's lots of fun, and we can do all those things, but how do we get that kind of joy? And what we've discovered and what I've found is the recipe for joy is not found in the Psalms. 
Those are expressions of joy. The recipe for joy is actually described by Jesus and recorded by his apostle John. It comes after the Last Supper, the night before Jesus would be betrayed and crucified. He's teaching his disciples the last minute things they need to know. If you look in the Gospel of John, that last section, it's Jesus just like, hey guys, lean in. I'm about to go away and y'all need to pay attention. This is really, really important. And in that last section, he drops so many theological truths that it's so, so significant. We also have to remember when we read John's gospel that this is a seasoned Christian looking back on his life, remembering all of the great things that Christ said, and these are the things that essentially rise to the top. In fact, at the end of his, of a, the end of his gospel, he even writes, look, there's not enough books for me to, say, to write down everything Christ said, but I can tell you the things I have written down they're important. They're significant. They're a big, big deal. So the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, he actually talks about how we get joy and the joy in the world. And it's found in John chapter 15. Jesus starts this way. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now right away, this imagery is important. The Old Testament writings always placed Israel as the vine that Yahweh would consistently work on and consistently tend to and care for. So consequently, now Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. It used to be Israel, but now the things have shifted. And things are about to shift even more. The world's about to be blessed through what my father is doing in this place. Israel was never able to, to bear the fruit that Christ was able to bear because of disobedience and corruption in the nation. But in truth, they were never meant to do that anyway. And that means that sometimes, and this is important for you to know, okay, I'm going to just let you know, this last part, he says he Cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Okay, got that. Uh, but while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Okay? That means that there's sometimes in your life that your heavenly Father may do some work on you and prune you a little bit for the next chapter of your life. And for many of us, we go, no, 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 no. Brandon, I want the Jesus that doesn't bother me and leaves me alone. I want God that doesn't affect me and bother me. Okay? I'm, I'm cool kind of skating right now, and I don't want God to be pruning nothing up in this joint, right? Like, that's how some of us feel. But the truth is, is if we don't allow God to, to prune us at times, we will miss what he has next for us, or maybe delay it, because we won't allow the pruning to happen in our life. But Jesus is drawing a, a bigger point, and he's getting to a conclusion here that's significant to our topic today. He continues, he says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Meaning Jesus says, you've already been pruned, disciples. You understand this. I've taught the word to you. I've taught all this to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And those of you that are gardeners know that. You cut a branch off, it's not going to survive, right? It's just not. It's not going to work. It's got to be connected to the main thing. Neither can... You bear fruit unless you remain in me. He's using the clearest illustration that Jesus knows how. And it's something that they're all familiar with. 
You cut a branch off, it's going to die. The rest of the tree will do fine. But if you cut that branch off, the vine will die. And he says one more time in case they missed it. I am the vine. He's just making it real easy. I mean, Jesus is putting the cookies on the lowest shelf for us, okay? And I appreciate that. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches, talking to his disciples. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, however, you can do nothing, Jesus said. And his point can never be clearer. He says, you cannot bear fruit unless you are connected to him. And that goes for, went for his disciples, but the same goes for you today. You cannot bear fruit unless you are connected to him. You can do a lot of things not connected to him, but you cannot bear fruit. So the next question is obviously, what kind of fruit are you talking about, Jesus? What, what, do, what do you mean? I mean, what, what kind of fruit is this? Because that's always the question we run into when we get to something like this, especially in illustration. It's like, all right, Jesus, what does the fruit look like? How do I know? What does the fruit look like? And believe it or not, it's, it's not what they do with their lives, the disciples, and it's not necessarily what you do with your life as much as how you live it. It's how you live your life that matters. In fact, one commentator said this. I love the way he puts it. It is his character, Jesus' character, reproduced within them, the disciples, and within us, and then shared with others in love. His point is that the fruit Christ is talking about is when we demonstrate the characters of Christ outward into the world. And those characteristics of Christ affect us, but most importantly, the characteristics of Christ, if we're able to emulate them and we're able to express them, are going to affect the entire world around us. The question then is, well, how do I know if I'm producing fruit, Brandon? This is really hard. Well, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions that might make you reevaluate it. These are the questions that we should ask. Because remember, we're trying to be like Jesus. That's the point. The fruit is characteristics of Jesus. So how do I know if I'm producing fruit? Well, are you adding to people's life or are you taking away? Because that'll tell you if you're producing fruit. Uh, or are you helping people? Do they feel safe and secure around you? Or do they feel like they might be on edge? Do they feel like that because you're a leader or because you're the boss or because you're the manager or the project manager that you might pop off any minute now and now they're afraid because they don't want to talk to you? Do they feel fear when they're around you? Do they feel like you may be overbearing on them? Do they feel like maybe, and I know not, I'm certain none of you are these people, but when you come in the room, you know these people though, where the life is drawn out of the room? The question is, is if you want to demonstrate characteristics of Jesus, you got to ask these questions. Here's a good one. Does, do people feel closer to God when they are talking to you, or do they feel further away? Do they feel like they're actually communicating with somebody who is close to Christ, or are they communicating with somebody who just likes to come to church and likes the music? Is the story of God, here's another question, is the story of God being spread where you are? Not overtly, it doesn't have to be overtly, but the greatest demonstration or spreading of the gospel happens in the way you live your life. It doesn't happen by standing at the street corner hooping and hollering. 
In fact, a couple weeks ago, me and Leah went on a uh, trip down to Charlottesville. And I was walking downtown in Charlottesville, and it's a beautiful downtown area. And as we came to the corner of one of the intersections down there, there's a man standing in there. It's in the middle of the night. Not middle of the night. It's in the evening, like around 7 o'clock. We're going to dinner. And he's standing with a sign, and he's yelling at the street corner, Repent now! Jesus is near! And I sat back and I thought about that, and I thought, nobody's probably going to get saved from that now. Maybe they will. I don't want to discount the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to say nobody. I just didn't see a line. I didn't. I didn't see a line. I didn't see people like falling out in the Spirit when he was yelling. Like I didn't see any of that. If anything, I saw everybody going, who is that crazy person? And then being the pastor, it was like, don't tell anybody I'm a pastor right now. I don't want people. And then my, my friend's church is down there, so I made sure to let him know he lost one of his boys and he was out there hollering about Jesus. <laughs> I said, hey, man, your worship leader's kind of, kind of going crazy right now. Um, so, but the point is, is, is that's not what I'm talking about when I say is, is the gospel being spread in your life. Because, again, the greatest demonstration of the gospel in your life is the way you live it. Because when things start to go wrong when, in somebody else's life, they're going to come and they're going to talk to you about it. And when they come and talk to you, and if you're a believer, that's the perfect opportunity for you to bear some fruit. Doesn't mean they're going to come to faith right then. Doesn't mean any of that. It's just a perfect opportunity for when somebody comes to you and they have a hard part in their life, are you going to add value to it or are you going to take away from their life? Because everywhere Christ went, and we see this time and time and time again. Value was added, care was given, and love was given. Every time. Even the Pharisees. Even the Pharisees, he, man, he scolded them, but it's because he wanted them to get back on the track. He wanted them to get back to normal. Now again, as with all things Jesus, it's a choice. You can decide. And he clarifies what it's like for a believer to not be connected to him. Okay, So if you're a believer and you may not be connected to the Spirit and people don't necessarily feel the way that they should when they're around you or interacting with you, um, he just kind of you know, lets us know what can happen in that scenario. He says, if you do not remain in me as Jesus followers, if you're not a Jesus follower, this doesn't apply to you. But if you do not remain in me as a Jesus follower, you are like a branch that is thrown away, and it withers. Now, maybe some of you feel withered right now. And maybe it's because you're not connected to the vine. Because you've chosen to, to make some decisions in your life or some things that you've done, or maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're here because you feel withered, and you're like, I need to get connected to the vine, man, because I ain't feeling it. And those of us that have been following Christ for a period of time, we all hit a point where we wither a little bit if we're just being honest with ourselves, right? Where we get a little disconnected, we let the wrong thing take the spotlight, and then before you know it, you feel a little withered. Jesus continues, he says, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And Jesus is not saying he's going to pick you up and throw you in the fire, okay? He's saying that that's what happens when you get disconnected. He, if, if he, he didn't say, my father picks you up and throws you into the fire. He said it happens, as in the, it's going to happen with the world. You're going to, when you're disconnected from the vine, eventually get burned. 
He says, in, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Pause. This is not a prosperity gospel thing, okay? You cannot cite this one and only verse and say, see, God said he's going to give me whatever I want. And I want a Bugatti. I want a Bugatti. So I'm going to go pray and I need a prayer warriors. We're going to get in our prayer closet. Because he said, if I ask anything and I'm remaining in him, people feel really great around me. Where's my Bugatti, Jesus? Right? That's not, that's not what he means. Listen, if you remain in me and my words, my will, my desires, my focus remains in you. So when you pray in alignment with his will, Jesus is like, I got you. But when you start praying off alignment, he's like, I don't know who you're talking to, man. I ain't coming with a Bugatti. That ain't it. Right? He, so, so don't take that singular verse and, and say, look, it means it can just ask for whatever I want, and it's okay. That's not what he's saying. He says, he continues, he says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, meaning when the fruit comes and people feel a certain way about you and around you, when you are loving them in such a way that it's obvious you're connected to Christ, I mean, come on, the greatest demonstration of love is when they are connected to, when you are connected to Christ and they are interacting with you, the gospel is spread through your actions and through your life. When you're connected, that's how people know that, you're the, that you are a disciple or a follower of Christ. And listen to me, it's God's desire that you bear that kind of fruit. It's his desire that you, that you do that. He wants that to happen for you. It's just a matter of are you going to be connected or are you going to be disconnected? Which one is it going to be? He says, as, my, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you keep my commands, that's important, we'll get back to that in a second, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and have remained in his love. You see what's happening here? Jesus is reminding them that he's modeled it first. He's not telling them to go do something different than what I did or do something, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Jesus is reminding them, don't forget, guys, um, I've kept my Father's commands. And I've stayed in step and stayed connected with my Father. You've seen me do it my whole life, my whole ministry since you guys have been here. So, hey, don't forget, I modeled it first. So you should do the same. And what is, comes next is the most important part. It's like the crescendo of the explanation of the vine here. And so many of us, we breeze over it, right? Because we get stuck right in this front part of the vine analogy because we get it in there and we think about it and we start thinking fruit and production and the only way I can produce anything is that if I'm connected to Jesus, which is true. The only way I'm connecting, I gotta stay connected. That's how I produce anything. And all of those things are true. That's absolutely true. I'm not discounting it. But if we stop there and we don't finish that last part of the verse, we miss it. Because he tells us why he told this parable, this illustration. He says it right here. I have told you this so that you may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy, there's our word, may be complete. So Jesus says, look, he gives this big explanation of the vine and then he, he, he seals the deal by saying, look, the only way, the only way that you're going to have true joy in your life is if you're connected to me. 
We breeze over that. We think that this is all about production and spreading the gospel and all that stuff. And it is to a degree. But he says, this is why I have told you this. I've told you this so that you may have joy. Not happiness, right? There's the, and there, let me tell you, there is no cheat sheet for this, okay? There's no shortcuts. Some people go, okay, Brandon, I just need you to give me the real easy, come on, give me the shortcut. How do I get joy? Look, I can't, I can't give you anything except what he said. And he said that you can have joy when you are connected to him. Full stop. No shortcuts, nothing else. That's how you maintain joy in your life. In fact, you've met people like this. You've met people like this, where they have joy all the time, regardless of circumstance, regardless of situation. They have joy. And it's because they are, when you dig deeper and kind of find out what's going on behind the background and behind the curtain, you see that they are connected to Christ and they are connected to him. And since they are connected to him, joy is flowing through them. And their joy is found in him. There are no other means to receive true joy than to be connected to the one who is the source of joy. And remember, joy and happiness are two things. Let's not get that twisted, right? Ultimate joy is found in our intimate relationship with Christ, but happiness is found in worldly possessions or promises. Happiness is like a rainbow. It's great when it's there, and it looks beautiful, and it's enjoyable, and you go, oh, look, it's so great. Look at all the kids. Look, it's a rainbow. You guys remember Noah did the thing, and then that's what this remembers. God's never going to do it again, right? Like, we do that all the time, but the rainbow goes away, right? And it's beautiful, And it's awesome, but it goes away. It's based on the circumstances and the environment for a rainbow to show up. But a rainbow will not always show up. In the same way, happiness will not always show up. But your joy is always there when you're connected to the vine. And the world's going to try to give you counter joy. They're going to give you counterfeit stuff. It's not going to be real. It's going to be fake. Imitation leather is what they're going to give you. Not the real joy. They're going to say that you can find joy not connected to Jesus. You could find joy as a Jesus follower. If you're not a Jesus follower, I don't know how you find joy. Okay, I don't have that solution. Go talk to a therapist. Okay, But if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Jesus follower, then you can find joy if you're connected to the right thing. But things in the world and the culture, particularly around this time of year, is going to do its best to pull you off center. It's going to tell you, you can find joy in your money. Because if you make enough of it, you can put on a great Christmas spectacle and everybody will be so happy in your family. So you just make enough money and that will give you joy. That's not going to give you joy. Maybe it's going to be that you can have joy when you get enough success in your life. right? When you've reached a certain spot in the company. When you've reached a certain spot in the government, right? When you've reached a certain spot in your life, when you've maintained that level of success, I want to own this much, I want to gain this much, I want to have this many kids, right? It's a goal, it's a future. When that happens, then that becomes the main thing. It's all about success. That's going to be temporary. In fact, what that gives you is spikes of happiness. And that's it. Spikes of happiness, valleys of depression. Not joy. So it's not success, the world's going to tell you, look, you just need to get the right group of friends around you. If you get the right, right group of friends, joy to the world. Nope. That's not going to do it either. It's going to tell you that your possessions will give you joy. 
That's not going to do it. If you gain enough influence in your community or enough influence in your workspace or get enough promotions, then you'll have joy. That's not it either. For some of you, you think, well, if I can get into the right college, and then I can pursue and get the right job, and then I'll have joy, right? And if I, you know, some of us, it's like, if I get married, that's what it is. If I get married, I'll have joy. No, you will not have joy if you get married, okay? It's not easy. It's not the same thing. It's not it. Joy's found somewhere else. And listen to me, if you, didn't, if you don't hear anything else in this entire message and, and you don't hear anything else here today, this is the most important part, okay? So lean in. So if, if the coffee wasn't strong enough or the pastor wasn't funny enough, this is important, okay? Listen, joy is found in the Christ, not the creation. Joy is found in the Christ, not the creation, And everything in this culture is going to tell you, find it in creation. It's out here. It's a thing. It's success. It's something else. And maybe some of you would argue, I mean, I'm pretty happy right now. If all you have is your happiness, it's going to fade. But if you are connected to the vine and you're connected to Christ, then joy will flow. That's the point of Jesus' parable. Because joy is found in the Christ, not in the creation. Nothing will give you this joy. It's just Jesus. So this Christmas season, I encourage you not to become disconnected. Do not accept the counterfeit joy that the world is going to try to hand you and the culture is going to try to tell you will solve all your problems. Stay connected to the one who can give you real, true joy. You go, Brandon, how do I do that? How do I stay connected to Jesus? What does that even look like? I've got a really quick action item for you. And I love acronyms because I was in the military and it's the only way my brain works. So I've got an acronym for you. But the first thing I want to say, the acronym is PRO. First thing you have to do is pray. Starts with prayer. When you pray, you are humbling yourself and before the Lord and recognizing you don't have all the answers, you don't have all the solutions, and you are not going to be the one that comes up with all of the answers. And you understand that you have what you have because the Lord helped you get it. And when you pray and submit yourself to him, you are connected in a different way. It's kind of like you can't claim to be somebody's friend if you never call them. Sure, we're acquaintances at that point. But if somebody's your best friend, you know what's up. You're calling them all the time, right? It's the same thing with prayer. So prayer. Second thing is you got to read. You got to read the Bible. You go, oh, Brandon, that's such a churchy answer. Yeah, I know. I'm a pastor. I'm sorry. It's an important book. I read it a lot, okay? Look, it's for real. It is the thing that reminds you. Here's the best part about the scriptures Um, sometimes they convict, and that hurts, and that's not always fun, right? But then sometimes they encourage, and that's really fun. That's the best time is when the Scriptures encourage. When the Scriptures convict, that's when it's like, oh, come on, Jesus, stop talking, right? But the point is, is that reading the Bible, reading sections of the Bible, and particularly the stories of Jesus, teach you how to demonstrate the characteristics of Christ, to bear fruit. People go, which version do I read, Brandon? I really don't care. Just read one of them if you're not reading any of them. 
Just read one of them. And you go, well, I want to know the nuances behind it. Look, I'm not doing a message on that. I'll talk to you offline about it, and I'll tell you all the ones, and then you can pick it. I don't care. Just read about Jesus. And then the last one is this. And this is going to really make you some of you mad. Obey. Reading it's not enough. Reading it's not enough. Knowing what to do is not enough. Remember just a few moments ago we read the section where Jesus says, keep my commands? Anybody remember that? He says it quite a few times in the Gospels. He says it actually one of the most consistent things he says is consistently keep my commands. So if you want to be connected to Christ and you want to stay connected, you got to pray, you got to read. And then the last one, and I know nobody likes it, you got to obey. And I was going to do K for keep, but my brain couldn't handle that. So you got O for obey. That's much more, that's much better anyway. So we have to obey it. In fact, the question then is, Brandon, what's his command? Here, I'll make it real simple for you because he made it real simple for us. Remember, cookies on the low shelf from Jesus. He's great. In John chapter 15, verse 12, so just a few after the one we just read, just a few verses after the one we just read, he says, my command is this, and we all lean in. Come on, Jesus, I need to know your command. What is it? Come on. Love each other as I have loved you. Well, where else do you say that, Jesus? Well, Five verses after that, he reiterates it in case we missed it, because, you know, some of us are slower. I need him to repeat it a few times. He says, this is my command. Like, All right, Jesus, tell me. Love each other. I'm seeing a theme. All right, Jesus, is there anywhere else? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you know what? When, right after I washed my disciples' feet, I said something about a great command. And then this is in John chapter 13. So just two chapters before this, same night, same situation, right after Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He sits back and he says, a new command I give you. And we're all like, all right, Jesus, what's the command now? Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. And then he says it again. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if you want to get connected to Jesus better, maybe you're praying, maybe you're reading, maybe that last one's a little harder. Maybe that last one's just a little bit tougher. Where the idea of loving his people better is hard. And it's easy, right? We can pray and we can read because that's, that's, you don't have to deal with people to do that, right? You're dealing with a heavenly father who doesn't yell back at you, right? I mean, when he does, it's really painful. But then you're also reading a Bible. So those are, those are a little easier than loving as I have loved you. And this is the night he's going to be crucified. He's gathered all around. John's trying to remember what he said, and John listed it three times. He listed it three times back to back. Look, if nothing else, this is what Christ said. Love one another, love one another, love one another. That is to obey. That does not mean you affirm their lifestyle. That does not mean, do not take this as an opportunity to just say, whatever goes, that's not true. Jesus didn't do that. He was full of grace and truth. And he was full of love. Because John, when he's writing his letter, says God is love. 
and you might not realize it. Maybe we don't realize it, but one act of love this time of year may help get somebody through an incredibly dark time. And you have no idea what your words might do and what may happen if you actually pursue to love one another and stay connected to the Father and stay connected to Jesus. And you will have joy. And it's, again, three things. Pray, read, and obey. And then you will have joy. And it will be a joy that is everlasting. So my challenge for you this week, as we go into the Christmas season, don't settle for counterfeit joy. Don't settle for things that, that you know you don't need to settle for. Don't use it. Don't make excuses to why you treat people poorly. Don't make excuses to why you don't read your Bible. Please don't make excuses to why you don't pray. At least be honest with yourself. I've been honest with myself this week about it. Be honest with yourself for just a second and say, look, there's just kind of some things that are more important than you. Because that's the truth. And that's not fun to talk about. And we don't always like that. But again, the truth is, he's the only source of joy. Everything else will give you ebbs and flows of happiness. But joy comes only from the vine. So with that, we'd love to pray for you guys before we go. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you provide the joy that you do that you provide the joy that we could not come up with. Lord, it's so difficult. We're all so busy around this time of the year. We got so many things going on. It's hard to slow down. It's hard to stop and pray and read and obey. And those are charged words and we don't always like them and sometimes they're uncomfortable to say or uncomfortable to deal with. But the truth of the matter is, God, that's the only way we're going to have real joy. So, Lord, I pray that any of us that are kind of holding on tight and we're like, no, 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 I've got my thing that's going to bring me joy and bring me happiness and it's going to do this. Lord, for those of us that are holding on to that, God, would you help us let go? Would you help us let go and spend a little bit more time focusing on the vine and getting reconnected? in this Christmas season and getting separated, that this truly would be a Christmas full of joy in our life. And Lord, that we would see you move both in our lives and in our family's lives and in those around us. Lord, we love you. And we pray that your spirit would guide us, direct us and help us this week as we pray more, we read more, and we obey more. Lord, we love you. We give you all of the praise. And the church said...